This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 10th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. When a state approves so-called right-to-work legislation, unions don't take it lying down. Joe Lehman is president of the Mackinac Center in Michigan. At the State Policy Network Conference in Denver, we discuss the work of state-based think tanks on behalf of right-to-work. And something happened at the Mackinac Center for a moment after it passed because we had planned for that moment of success, but we hadn't planned very well for the day after. Well, what happens the day after Michigan becomes a right-to-work state? What do we do now? What pathways are now open to us? And one of the first things that we realized was that just because right-to-work was the law did not mean that the government and the unions themselves were going to follow the law or were going to embrace it with open arms. So when unions began obstructing their members from leaving the union, which was now their legal right. But when they began to obstruct it, it created uh, great opportunities for us to litigate and challenge uh, their overreach. So what were, what were some of the examples of uh, obstructions that uh, unions have used? Well, for example, the uh, largest teacher union in Michigan, <clears throat> the Michigan Education Association, uh, had always maintained in its bylaws that if a teacher wanted to resign from the union, and uh, that they had to do so in the month of August. And there was a process, and it was a bureaucratic process. They had to start it in August and end it in August. Not too many teachers ever resigned because they still had to pay the union. They just weren't counted as members. And they got a little discount on their fees, but that was it. So very few resigned. But in the right-to-work world, resigning from the union means you don't have to support the union at all anymore. So we had teachers say, well, we're a right-to-work state. I'm going to send in my resignation letter. And then this is what those teachers found out. Uh, They started uh, finding out, uh, uh, say, in September... They found out that, oh, you sent us that resignation letter in May. Well, May is not August. You have to start and end the resignation process in August. Therefore, you're not out of the union. Therefore, you're still locked in. Hand over the dues or we will turn you over to a collection agent. And you wouldn't want anything to happen to your credit rating, would you? So multiply this by thousands. And this is what uh, that particular union was doing to hold on to. Uh, their, the teacher's cash. So that's a pretty clear litigating opportunity, an arbitrary rule deciding that you have to begin and conclude your resignation process in an arbitrary month. Yeah, that's right. They were essentially saying that their bylaws trumped state law. And it's an interesting legal question, but we think the answer is clear. And, and we have just won uh, that judgment in state administrative court, but we expect the union to appeal and, and that will run its course. But in the meantime, Last August, we did inform thousands of teachers of exactly how they could exercise their rights if they wanted to, and we helped about 5,000 teachers leave the union, which will cost that union about $5 million a year. For state-based think tanks that uh, work on these issues that you know, not, not, aren't necessarily uh, broadly of interest beyond their borders, the value proposition has always been of interest to me, which is a relatively small organization can create a great deal of the theme here this week is disruption, can create a great deal of disruption to business as usual without, without spending a whole lot of money. Well, that's right. And, and you know, let's face it, uh, unions have become hidebound, uh, entitlement 
breeds complacency. And the unions, uh, I believe, have just become very, uh, had a sense of entitlement to a slice off the top of government workers' paychecks. Well, it isn't automatic anymore. And instead of trying to uh, put a value proposition in front of their members, they're saying, no. Uh, they're bullying their teachers. They're saying, you keep paying up or bad things will happen to you. So we, uh, we began suing unions about five years ago. And since we began, uh, we have, uh, our litigation has led to the dismantling of three uh, illegal government unions. It's freed about 100,000 people from those unions, and it has uh, repatriated about $10 million a year in, in dues. Lawmakers uh, watching what's happened in Detroit from Lansing certainly have to see that there's a serious problem that is rapidly approaching them as well. How have they responded to bankruptcies, uh, bankruptcy in Detroit and you know, just continuing problems there. Well, it, it's really been it's really been a mixed bag, and Detroit was America's biggest municipal bankruptcy, and, and in some sense, there's a little bit of uncharted territory there, uh, both legally and but but really politically. Politically, it was very uncharted territory. So I give a lot of credit to Governor Snyder who did not do what his predecessors did in, in kicking the can down the road. He, he really decided in an affirmative way that he was going to be the governor who uh, got this situation resolved and, and bankruptcy was a point at which the city had to go through. Now, we have not agreed with the governor on all of uh, everything that he's done in handling that. Uh, for, for example, we, we don't think that the, that the taxpayers of Michigan should have uh, had to bail out uh, the, uh, the, the pensioners of, of Detroit. Uh, but on, on the other hand, uh, the pensioners are taking a haircut. You know, they're not, uh, they, they, you know, through no fault of their own, uh, the, the corrupt and incompetent uh, government of uh, Detroit, they didn't have enough money to pay the pensions they promised. And so today's pensioners are, they're going to have to suffer a little bit. The bondholders, it, it, it looks like, um, uh, are, uh, may also take a haircut. And that's a, that's a real shame because that's not how the law is supposed to uh, uh the law is not going to treat them as they were expecting to be treated. So, for example, the city holds on to extremely valuable assets that, you know, if you or I went bankrupt, the judge would say, well, I'm sorry you have some treasured assets, but you're going to have to sell them. And if there's any money left, that'll go to your creditors, you know, in, in, in the city's case, the bondholders and, and others. But instead, the city is uh, being allowed to hold on to some of its uh, assets, uh, uh, such as its uh, world-renowned art collection uh, and other things that you know arguably could be sold. So for law for lawmakers in in Lansing uh, and for the governor, is there is this a does this a provide a clear sense that perhaps in the future states will simply allow city bankruptcies to move forward and won't, won't intervene? That that's a great question. Uh, we we think the precedent is a mixed one. Uh, on, we, we believe it's positive that if a city uh, goes in the direction of bankruptcy, uh, the taxpayers aren't going to bail everything out. Uh, there is going to be some, uh, some pain uh, borne by the bankrupt entity. But on the other hand, there, there's been a bailout 
uh, of sorts. And uh, we argue that that's uh, ultimately will be counterproductive. So uh, the whole country is watching what happens in Detroit. And uh, I'll say that the precedent that Detroit is setting is not nearly as bad as it could be, but it isn't a precedent that will encourage a lot of cities to get their finances in order <laughs> before they go bankrupt. If I'm the bond market, and that makes me an all-powerful being, if I were the bond market, uh, what is it that I should be looking for in a state's reaction to cities in trouble? Oh, boy. I would say uh, those, uh, those bonds just became higher risk. Those municipal bonds just became uh, uh, higher risk because you now you, you can't be as sure as you once were, bond market, that uh, the city will sell assets to pay off those bonds. Joe Lehman is president of the Mackinac Center in Michigan. Subscribe to this and other Cato podcasts at our website, cato.org.